Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. How many of you love a rousing game of charades? Raise your hand. Three of you. Wonderful. <laughs> Let me rephrase the question. How many of you hate a rousing game of charades? Interesting. Okay, so this is how democracy works. Three people voted and no one else did. Okay. Uh, so a closely related, uh, you know, like second cousin of charades is the, um, the mime. You know what I'm talking about? There, there used to be a guy in this uh, life of the church. Uh, he moved away, but he absolutely hated mimes. Hated mimes. He was scared of them. So um, why am I talking about mimes? Why am I talking about charading? Because uh, charading? Is that a word? Charades? Uh, there, you may not know this, but in the Bible, uh, there is one recorded story of a game of charades. And we're going to read it right now. All right? So uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Uh, let me open us up with a word of prayer. Uh, loving God, as we dig into this scripture this morning, uh, touch our hearts and transform us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So uh, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. 
They realized he had seen a vision in the temple because he kept playing charades and pantomiming and remained unable to speak. There you go. I told you. Right there. When his time of service was complete, uh, Zechariah returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And this is God's word to us this morning. So yeah, I, uh, I, I started digging into the scripture and I'm like, the guy is playing charades. And I'm thinking that's got to be the hardest game of charades ever to be played. I, I mean, you know, it's like you pull a card and it's like movie or like sounds like, but like, how do you like even, I was trying to, the hardest part of this, this is, is the angel Gabriel, like, you know, talk, and then it looks like a bird talking. No, no, not a bird talking. It's so, I don't know. I don't know how he did it. So can you imagine how hard that must have been? Now, uh, before we jump into all of the details of today's outline, I think it's important always to address what's happening uh, in the larger context of Scripture, and uh, in this case, the, the context of the Gospel of Luke as a whole. Now, the Gospel of Luke is unique because it includes essentially a prequel. The primary story of all four Gospels is the story of Jesus, and Luke includes the origin stories, if you will, of Jesus. The origin stories uh, to, in essentially the first uh, chapter of Luke are shuffled together like a deck of cards. And to illustrate this, I, I created this slide. This slide. There it is. Okay, so, <clears throat> and I, I originally had this in a linear fashion. Like here are the events that are outlined in chapter one. Uh, I'll step over here. Um, but then it, it all came together for me and it was driving me nuts because I was trying to figure it out. This is a one, two, two, one literary structure. One, two, two, one. So if you look at the left-hand side of this, you'll see the birth of John the Baptist, and let's just look at it as, as a line. The, and then the foretold, and then the birth of John the Baptist, and then Zachariah's song. So uh, Zachariah is John the Baptist's dad, who we're, we're reading about, and uh, the message is Zachariah's story today. On the right-hand side, we have the birth of Jesus foretold. We have Mary's song. Uh, which is Mary's Magnificat, which we learned about last week in worship. Um, and, then, and then we have the birth of Jesus. So both of them are linear stories, but you can see how they were, are shuffled together in the Gospel of Luke. And this is the prequel to the main event, which is the, the life of Jesus. And personally, I think this would make a great movie because you can just see fade in the birth of John the Baptist foretold, you know, and then fade out. And the next scene, the birth of Jesus. I mean, I just, I don't know. It reads like a script to me. All right. So this weekend, we are focusing on Zachariah's story. Uh, so turning to your outlines now, um, Zachariah, and it's a two-parter. Point one is a two-parter. Zachariah was well-positioned for God's purpose. Zachariah was well-positioned for God's purpose. And... Um, <clears throat> to kind of illustrate what I'm, communicate what I'm trying to illustrate here. Um, so in, in, the, in our house, uh, I know some of you are football fans and others of you may enjoy basketball. That's great. But uh, in the Lucia household, we enjoy soccer. Uh, so I'm going to use a soccer illustration, but I think it applies to other sports as well. Uh, so it's usually my son and I sitting on the couch. Got to set the scene. 
uh, and Stacy comes in and out, and my daughter Sydney has nowhere to be seen. She, she doesn't like soccer. So we're watching the game, and there's two things that can happen in soccer to set up a scoring situation. Now, the first one that I'm going to, right, there's always like one guy with the ball, and he's dribbling down the field, and there's another guy over here. And you can see it on the screen. Now, I don't know what they see on the field, but on the screen, you can see the guy's open. The guy, and that's when we get up and start. So in the past, just beautiful kick. And it's like, you know, it bends all the way across. And it's called a first touch. It means the, the, the player that receives that pass doesn't trap it, doesn't do anything. It's just they either kick it and like a bullet train, it goes into the back of that, boom. And then, you know, and then they play it two or three times uh, in slow motion. And in slow motion, it even looks more beautiful. It's a great event, right? Now, that's what we all enjoy. But then there's another way that players score. Same setup, right? They're coming down the field. The, the player makes the pass. It's this beautiful arcing pass into the, the scoring zone, into the box, they call it. And, and what happens, and it I don't, you know, sometimes maybe the, the, the player that's going to receive the pass is maybe a half step off. Maybe the defensive players have, got, have moved a little. But all of a sudden, instead of being this beautiful thing, it becomes kind of, uh, I'm going to change metaphors here, but like in rugby, I think they call it a scrum. It's like you see the ball kind of get sucked into like the sponge of the grass and you see a bunch of players just kind of like doing this. It's just kind of a mess. And then all of a sudden you see... Two things. One is you see the goalie like go in one direction and then the ball going like one mile per hour just kind of dribbles into the net. Now, of course, we always, you know, celebrate anytime our team wins. Yay! But it doesn't look as pretty. Right? Perfectly positioned to score, but kind of looks ugly. When we're looking at today's scripture, if we had to choose which of these two applied to Zechariah, it would be the second one. Let me explain. We're going to get into the details in the verses themselves. But let me explain. The Gospel of Luke describes Zechariah as being perfectly qualified. In other words, he's perfectly positioned to carry out God's plan. And the details are this. Verse 5 and 6, it reads, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And what we're talking about in verse 5 is we're talking about pedigree. Essentially, we've got, uh, you know, it goes all the way to Moses. If you remember the story of the Exodus, Moses has Aaron as his right-hand man, and Aaron is, is the priest that, that helps lead the Exodus, right? So that's her line. And then he, it's, it's highlighting the fact that he's part of this priestly division, which I'll say more about in a moment. So the pedigree is perfect, well qualified to be on the playing field. Okay. And then verse uh, six, both of them were, uh, talk about like high praise. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I kind of shudder with the, all of the decrees blamelessly. That's like, we're basically talking about perfection. So at, a, at the least, what we, what, what we can understand is that the community held Elizabeth and Zechariah in, in, in high esteem, right? They had high character. So Zechariah's got the pedigree. He's also got the high character. 
And then looking at verses eight and nine, uh, it reads, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So uh, this needs a little more explaining. And I, I think, I don't know why, I, I have no reason to believe this, but I always kind of thought it was like, you know, like a small business where there was maybe like 10 guys that ran the business of the temple for the whole nation. And, and that's it. It's not that way at all. Uh, we, by the time uh, Jesus, uh, the first century uh, of Jesus, we've got, uh, so we've got 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes is the tribe of Levi. Uh, and the Levites, and they are the priests for the nation. And they are in, their primary responsibility is taking care of all the tasks that are involved with the nation's uh, temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so by this time, there are thousands of Levites. And so it's not like 10 guys just running the shop. It's more like there are divisions of priests and they serve twice a year. So it's kind of like the army reserves. They show up twice a year and do the business. Now, here's the thing. Their divisions are so huge that there are, it's a situation where there are more priests than there are jobs to do. So, I don't know. It kind of sounds fun to me. Uh, in order to do all of the jobs, they I roll dice and they're like, hey, you win. Okay, you get to do this. And hey, let's roll. And then so they divide the, the responsibilities this way. So, it's kind of a numbers game if you think about it. You've got all of these priests and then you've got uh, two weeks of the year, and then of those, they're, 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 they're throwing lots. Is that lots? Casting lots to distribute the responsibilities. And Zechariah wins, wins the draw, so to speak. And uh, let's talk about the incense. The incense, the beginning of the day, uh, there would be, the day would begin with prayers, and incense would be lit in, in uh, corresponding with those prayers. And the incense represent the prayers of the people lifting up before God and being a pleasant aroma. So the day would open with the lighting of, of, the lighting of incense and end with the lighting of incense. And so Zechariah uh, is, is in charge of that responsibility. So Zechariah has the pedigree, he has the character, and he truly has the luck of the draw. And so Zechariah is well positioned for God's purpose. But, part two of point one, but Zechariah didn't perfectly accomplish it. He whiffs it. And he whiffs it in verse 18 when he questions the angel Gabriel. Yeah, but how can I be sure of this? Now, in context, it's revealed to us that this is an expression of disbelief. Essentially, Zechariah is looking for a sure deal. He's looking for assurance. And I was trying to think of what the modern day equivalent of that would be. And the only thing I could think of is in like in business, when we put down a down payment on something, like when you put down a down payment, it's gonna happen. Uh, over Thanksgiving break, Stacy, my wife and I were driving up uh, to San Francisco to spend time with a uh, family up there. And we were driving up the 101 and uh, there's a, there's Paso Robles, and then there's like a long stretch of just farmland and, and nothing. I don't want to say nothing because I'm sure someone lives there and says, it's something, we live here. But it's, it's empty space. It's open space. And then there's a King City. And somewhere between Paso and King City, we're driving along and I, I, uh, I ride a motorcycle. And uh, I'm looking down the road and I saw that there's a motorcycle on the side of the road and a, a white helmet on the handlebars just 
And it didn't look, you know, I'm looking for the writer thinking, you know, was there an accident or something's wrong? Obviously something's wrong, but there's no writer. Where's, where's that? So we, so we keep driving and about a mile past the motorcycle, sure enough, there's a guy, you know, walking along the side of the road. So I'm like, Stace, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like a karma thing. Like if I don't help him, you know, someday my motorcycle is going to break down. No one's going to help me. So I kind of, we got to pull over and she was already on it. She's pulling over and we yelled the guy down. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I ran out of gas. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he was in the army. Uh, he is in the army. He's serving in LA. He had the week off and he was riding this little motorcycle all the way up to San Francisco to see his girlfriend. It was very cute, but I've digressed. Um, about, so we, we drive another, he's looking at his phone. He goes, yeah, about three miles from here is the closest gas station. I was going to, and we're like, no, no, we'll drive you down. So we drive him down. And uh, when he gets to the gas station, I don't know if you've ever had to do this, but he doesn't have a gas tank. So he goes up and says, hey, my motorcycle ran out of gas. Can, can you have a, a gas tank? And they're like, yeah, we have a gas tank that you can borrow, but you're going to have to leave your driver's license. To, and, the, <laughs> and you think, like, really? Okay. But he had to leave his driver's license so that he would return the gas tank. So, uh, of course, we, we drove him back to make sure he was all good. Um, but that's kind of what is happening in scripture here. Zechariah is looking for assurance. And there's like this dialogue, like, how can I be sure? And Gabriel's like, do you know who I am? Like, I work for God. He sent me to tell you that this is going to happen. And he's like, yeah, but how's, how do I know for sure it's going to happen? He's like, can you leave your driver's license, please? You know, No. No, I'm not going to leave my driver's license. Zap. I mute you. You've been muted. Burnt. Nine months of charades. Boom. So Zachariah is perfectly positioned to score, uh, but he's fumbling the ball, which leads me to the second point of today's uh, outline. Zechariah's consequences do not override God's plan. Zechariah's consequences don't override God's plan. It's actually kind of an odd story because on the front end of it, Zechariah is built up like he's the man, like he's all pro. Like if anybody's supposed to be on the field, he's the one that's going to score. And the ball has been laid into him, passed to him. And you think, yeah, I'm mixing metaphor, slam dunk, it's going to happen. But then all of a sudden he's fumbling the ball. He whiffs it. Nine months of charades, boom. Not until John the Baptist is born will you speak again. You know, in order to bring law and order to an otherwise uh, chaotic family life, parents sometimes have to be creative in their discipline. And uh, I don't know why I always go to the same storyline, but it must be significant in my own family life. The storyline is this, going to Disneyland. Disneyland is not a small expense. We all know that. And so you kind of plan ahead. We're going to Disneyland. We're going to go in like five weeks. It's going to be on a Saturday morning. It's going to be awesome. You may, families might have to like save some money to make it all happen. And it's going to be great. And the little kid, you're getting your kids to go, oh, we're going to go to Disneyland. It's going to be awesome, right? So the day comes and it's Saturday morning. And right, you're going to be there at opening because you want to get every dollar's worth, right, that you're spending. So you get up the, kid, the kids are early and you're driving down the five freeway. And at this point, you're like 10 minutes from the exit and the kids are just like hitting each other and acting up and pulling each other's hair. And have you, tell me if you ever heard this one and I'm going to hear more charades. Ready? Don't make me come back there and turn this car around. I will turn this car around if you keep doing this. 
right? You ever hear that one? The, here's the thing. You're going to Disneyland. And the truth is, mom and dad want to go to Disneyland as much as the kids do. So the truth is, they're not going to turn the car around. So it's kind of an empty threat. And I was thinking, as, as an experienced parent myself, I was trying to think of what's a creative way to address that situation. And I was like, here's the, here's the creative solution. No, we're not going to turn the car around. Tell you what, though. You know what's going to happen? Like, if you continue behaving this way, when we get to Disneyland, when we get in line for that first ride, we're going to get on the ride and you're going to have to sit out. And if you continue to behave this way, we're going to go to the second ride and you're going to have to sit out. Can you imagine being a little kid at Disneyland in, you know, like it's paradise and yet you can't participate in the fun? Ooh, that hurts. Right? So here we are. Creative disciplinary action for Zechariah. You got to wonder if God wasn't exercising some creative, ex, uh, creative discipline with Zechariah on this one. Because it's a short-term disciplinary action. You're going to be on mute for nine months. But the long-term objective is accomplished. I mean, God didn't say, you know what? I'm kind of, you know, because of Zechariah, I don't know, I might, let's rethink this whole Messiah thing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to turn the car around and, and we'll try this again in another five years. That's not the case. Zechariah uh, experiences some consequences of his poor choices and behavior, but the long-term objective is accomplished. Zechariah's consequences do not override God's plan. And friends, that's what we call the grace of God. Because to make it personal, there are choices that we make that are self-destructive or hurtful to others. There are things that we say that we wish we didn't say. Uh, you know, there, there are things we do that we wish we didn't do. Sometimes, uh, sometimes there are things that we should be doing that we're not doing. And we can beat up on ourselves. And we can feel, keyword, sometimes we can feel like God is beating up on us because of these choices. But here's the good news. Whatever short-term consequences that we may feel, whatever short-term consequences that we may be experiencing because of our failures, because of our sin, hear this. They do not have the power to overcome God's grace in our life. The short-term consequences that we may be sometimes experiencing in seasons of our lives do not have the power to overcome God's grace in your life. And so we just sang earlier that song, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. God's purpose never fails. God's love never fails. Zachariah's consequences did not override God's plan. Now, it's very tempting to end this sermon right now. End it right here. It's a good note. But if we did, you know where that would leave Zachariah? He'd still be like, I'm stuck in a box. But no, he wouldn't be able to say it. He'd just be, he'd still be miming. He'd still be charading. So it's important that we finish the arc of Zachariah's story, story arc. And so for that, we have to jump to the end of Luke chapter one. And what we see at the end of Luke chapter one is a total transformation of Zechariah. If we leave him where he's at, he's not speaking 
And yet at the end of chapter one, he's not only speaking, but he is singing. Zechariah, point three of our outline. Zechariah saw and celebrated the good in his son. He saw and celebrated the good in his son. Luke chapter one, verses 30. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but part of it anyway, 76 through 79. This is Zechariah's, part of Zechariah's song. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and live in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Isn't it nice to be seen? It's nice to be seen, or, or put another way, it hurts to be overlooked. There are, I don't know, some, I mean, I think of work situations, but sometimes it's in, even in our own families or even with friends where maybe you're doing something and maybe you don't expect praise, but it's kind of nice when you get it. You're working hard. Maybe you're working overtime on a project at work and your coworkers see that you're working hard and they say, hey, we know you're working hard. Thank you so much. It's nice to be seen. Zechariah was a proud father. He not only saw his son and saw the potential of what God was doing through his son, he wrote a song about his son and he sang that song. Isn't that awesome? So that's the story arc of Zechariah. And with each point of today's sermon, uh, there's an application point, a next step, and I want to share those with you. So for point one, Zechariah was well positioned for God's purpose. And I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider ways to better position yourself for God's purposes in your life. Now, what might that look like? In this season of Advent or for beyond, how can we better position ourselves for God to be at work in our lives to accomplish God's purposes through us? It sometimes looks like we have to give up something and other times we have to take on something. Now, giving up something, honestly, may look like, and I've, this has been placed in my heart, so I've been sharing it at every service. Sometimes giving up something may mean there may be someone toxic in your life that you need to start establishing healthy boundaries and distancing yourself from. That is an experience I had at, at one point in my life when I was younger. Sometimes it's giving up something, but other times better positioning yourself for God's purpose is taking on something. And maybe prayer is not your thing and you know it. Maybe for the season of Advent, you start a good habit of prayer. Maybe every morning when you wake up, spending five minutes in prayer, taking something new on. How can you better uh, position yourself for God's purpose in your life? Secondly, Zachariah's consequences did not override God's plans. And so I challenge you to prayerfully examine how despite your own shortcomings, right? We spend so much time beating up on ourselves sometimes. Prayerfully examine how despite our own shortcomings, God is still at work in your life. And lastly, Zacharias saw and celebrated the good in his son. And I encourage you to prayerfully celebrate maybe three people in your life, coworkers, friends, your family, three people in your life that you actually can go, wow, I can see God at work in their lives. Celebrate that and say something to them. Let's pray. 
loving God, in this uh, season of Advent, such a uh, special season, we, we desire to prepare our hearts for the celebration of the birth of the Son of God and for the return of the Son of God. And in this season, Lord, we are looking at some of these stories in Advent. And uh, today, as we look at Zachariah's story, uh, wow, Lord, you positioned him, but like we identify with the fact that he's fumbling the ball because so often we feel that way too. Lord, help us uh, to, I don't know, take something on or perhaps let go of something in order that we too can better position ourselves for your purposes in our lives through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit at work within us. Lord, we are thankful that despite our own shortcomings, you continue through your grace to live out your plan in us and through us. Lord, help us to not focus on the negative in our lives, but help us to have eyes to see your spirit at work in us. And Lord, give us those same eyes for those around us, for our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers, to see the good in them, to see how your spirit is at work in them. And give us the courage and the willingness to celebrate that and say something to them and lift them up. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.
Salve. 